It's good to see you all here tonight. What a blessing. All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're excavating Ephesians on Wednesday nights, and we are now in chapter 6, where for the last several weeks we have been considering the armor of God. We've already considered the need to have our loins girt about with truth, to have on the breastplate of righteousness, and tonight we're going to consider the need of having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If you look with me in chapter 6 of Ephesians, I'll read verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places be able to withstand in the done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, all taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." And so, as we stand in these last days, how many of you know we're in the last days? <laughs> if you didn't know before 2020, you know now. We have to be fully armored up if we're going to stand. We have to put on the whole armor of God to stand against the spiritual wickedness of our day. And the armor is designed so that we will be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And we see tonight, we need to have our feet protected with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, there are two common interpretations for what this means. One is, people say, well, we need to march forward with the gospel message, proclaiming to mankind that they can have peace with God through Christ. And I wouldn't argue that. The other common interpretation is, as children of God, we can have peace through our warfare. Now, both will preach. Honestly, I'm not sure which one is the primary interpretation. Both can be applied. But given the context, I would say the meaning here is that we as God's children can have peace with God as we fight the good fight of faith. And here's why I say that. We see in verse 11 that we are to stand against the wiles of the devil. That is, Satan is going to try and deceive us, and he's going to be tricky and subtle as he does. The whole context leading up to this point is that we are to stand, to stand against the wiles of the devil, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Four times we're told to stand. And if you're going to stand, your feet must be protected. I was working on the air conditioner unit the other night. And if you know me, I'm not, in, I'm not somebody that needs to be trusted with tools. Um, point in case, I took a saw made for lumber and I cut the PVC and pipe to clean it. Anyway, uh, we got it all back together. And it works. YouTube has been such a blessing in that regard. Amen. Well, how do the good old boys do it? And I pull it. Oh, yeah, okay. 
Anyway, I was standing down there on that concrete floor in my bare feet, and it doesn't take long when you're 250. <laughs> you got to have your feet protected. And so anyway, you'll be in trouble if your feet get in trouble because you'll just be less mobile, right? Not too long ago, before modern warfare, soldiers fought in trenches, and it became known as trench warfare. And this was especially true in World War I. Still, it still occurs today, up to today, but it's just less common. And as you can imagine, the trenches would become flooded with rainwater, melting snow, and as a result, the soldiers' feet would be submerged in that water for long periods of time. The, the cold would cause issues as well. And for soldiers fighting in these trenches, they would get what is called trench foot. That sounds delightful, doesn't it? It began with pain in the feet, and then numbness would begin to set in. And if left untreated, it could get to the point where the tissues would begin to die. Soldiers with trench foot would get fungal infections, and often they would become frostbitten. Gangrene would set in sometimes. And if you're ever interested in such things, you can Google pictures of trench foot and throw up afterwards. And uh, it's interesting to see the toes that get lost and everything else. But obviously, once trench foot set in, a soldier was effectively out of the battle. And it's estimated, this surprised me the number was so high, but it's estimated that 2,000 American soldiers died as a result of trench foot, and 75,000 British soldiers died as a result of trench foot. Because this was such a problem, towards the end of World War I, the Pershing boot was developed to help combat against trench foot. Look, these are things I stumble across when I'm studying. I just, I throw them out there, okay? I don't know. Do with it what you want to. Um, it was named after General Pershing. He oversaw the creation of this, but it became known as the trench boot. How'd <laughs> you like something with your name on it, and it changes to the trench boot? So foot issues weren't only a problem in trench warfare, but it occurred during the Vietnam War as well uh, because of the hot and humid conditions, trudging through rice paddies, the monsoonal rains. It became imperative for them to keep their feet dry. I remember hearing your dad talk about uh, his experience with that, and uh, it's nearly impossible to keep your feet dry in that, so you change your socks out. And if you ever tried to dry your socks out in 100 degree or 100% humidity, it's kind of tough. And so they would get uh, infections, experience jungle rot is what they called it. And according to the Office of Medical History, tropical immersion foot or jungle rot often accounted for more time lost from, accounted for more time lost from combat duty than all other medical conditions combined. In World War I, they learned the hard way they needed mandatory routine inspections of their feet. Don't worry, we're not going to do a foot washing or anything. I just cannot, I said all that to say, I cannot overemphasize the importance of your feet being protected in this warfare. It's real in, in physical warfare and you're going to see tonight, it's real in our spiritual warfare. If we lose our feet, we become very limited in our mobility. We can be taken out of the fight. And in some cases, some never return to battle because they never took care of their feet. For the Roman soldier, they were outfitted with a sandal, which for its time was superior 
It had thick leather sole, and it was fitted with spikes underneath for traction. And we might next week, we'll see how the Lord leads. Well, not next week, but maybe the next week. How the Lord leads on, on that. Talk about it offensively. The, the feet being shod here. But they needed to be able to get where they were going. And what good would it be if you got to the front line of the battlefield and you were not ready for battle? Because in your march there, your feet are all tore up. So your feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I want you to do a foot inspection tonight. Keep your shoes on. Do a foot inspection tonight and see where you're at. The word gospel means glad tidings, good news, good message. And I think we all understand the word peace to some degree, but it's a peace which means we are at rest. We have quietness. We are at rest with God. We are at peace with God. And we are told we need to prepare our feet or we need to make them ready for the fight by having the gospel of peace. If I can put it this way to you, our feet are the physical foundation upon which we stand. And we must have at our foundation in this Christian warfare peace with God. Because the devil wants to come along and he wants to trick you and ensnare you through his subtlety but we can be protected from that by having our feet shod with the peace of God. So how do we get peace with God? Well, let me ask this first. On your own, okay? On your own, how good do you have to be to be at peace with God and have a relationship with Him? Answer, you have to be as good as God is. You have to be sinless. You have to be at God's level of holiness, His level of righteousness. And I would think on a Wednesday night crowd, most of us understand that none of us are sinless. That we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we cannot make peace with God. We can't do it. Because we're not good enough. We're not at God's level. We needed God to make a way for us to have peace with Him. And so God sent forth His only begotten Son to die in our place, shed His blood for the remission of our sins. He died and was buried in three days. He rose again and He later ascended on high and, and is now at the right hand of the Father. Colossians 1 verses 20 through 22 say, And having made peace. Remember, we can't make the peace. But the Bible says... And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight." That's making peace. Christ said, I've made peace for you through my blood. And because of this peace that you can have, you can be reconciled to God and you can have a life where you are holy, you are unblameable, and you are unreprovable in His sight. Now, Christ, you got to understand, we were enemies of God. Before we were saved, we were at enmity with God. We didn't have peace with God. We were separated from God. 
And we had to be reconciled to be made holy. What a blessed thought, amen? And so all we must do then is we must place our faith and trust in Christ's finished work on Calvary. And then as we talked about with the breastplate of righteousness, we will have His righteousness put on our account, put to us. We, we get His righteousness. In Romans chapter 4, verses 23 through chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Now it was not written for His sake alone, this is speaking of Abraham, that it was imputed to him, that's speaking of Christ's righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so once we place our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we are justified by that faith. Which means it's just as if we have not sinned. This is how we have peace with God. It is because Christ made peace. He made it for us, and we just have faith in Christ and Him alone because we understand that we're not worthy. And we can have peace knowing that if we die today, for those of you in Christ, if you die today, we can stand before God and be declared righteous, unreprovable. We can be declared justified. That's peace. Christ made it. He met the requirement of the law. He lived the sinless life. He didn't deserve to die. But He willingly laid down His life for us. That we might be reconciled to God and have peace. Now, to the child of God, Jesus says this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. The peace that He made, I give my peace unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus says, I want to give my peace to you. Everybody with me tonight? Because we're going to start getting to the living room table now. He says, I want to give my peace to you. But then it's important to observe that Jesus went on to say, let not your hearts be troubled, Neither let it be afraid. Jesus says, look, I don't want you to be troubled. I don't want you to be afraid. So I'm going to give you my peace. And when Jesus says, I give you my peace, but then he says, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Do you know what that implies? You're going to go through trouble. You're going to go through tribulations. Maybe I should say that. You're going to have trials in life. You're going to have things in life that if you're not careful, it's going to make you troubled. It's going to make you afraid. And Jesus said, I want to give you my peace so that you can come through that. And and so there's going to be tribulations. There's going to be heartaches. There's going to be rough seas. There's going to be things that are, are, are very hard for us. And if we're not careful, we're going to get afraid. We're going to get troubled or agitated. It's going to rob us of our peace. But the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Just go ahead and mark it down. In this life, you are going to have tribulation. Paul said in Acts 14.22 that we must enter into the kingdom through much tribulation. I hope you know that's what you signed up for. And that's why right before that, the Bible says of Paul that he was confirming the souls of, his, or of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. You're going to have tribulations. You're not getting to the kingdom without tribulation. And therefore, Paul says, I want to confirm your soul and I want to help you to continue in the faith. I want to tell you, just like wounded feet in physical warfare sidelines the soldier, listen now, so it is in the Christian warfare. And more Christians are out of the fight today because their feet got wounded. They did not maintain peace with God through the trials and the tribulations. Everybody with me? How many do you know who are no longer in the fight because they no longer have peace with God? They may have peace positionally in the sense that they are God's child and we cannot be plucked out of His hand. But do they have peace with God through the trial, through the circumstances that come into their life? Some go through the death of a loved one and they question God and they lose their peace. Some lose their health and they lose their peace. Some will have a rebellious child and they'll lose their peace. Some go through very difficult financial circumstances and they lose their peace with God. Some go through a bad marriage and they lose their peace with God. Some get falsely accused and they lose their peace with God. And on and on we could list the scenarios. And their thinking is typically this. Why would God allow this to happen to me? And what happens in this spiritual battle is we begin to face the wiles of the devil who now comes and whispers in our ear, if God really loved you, He would not have allowed this to happen. If God was really all-powerful, this could have been prevented. What's the use in serving God if you have to experience such tribulation? And this tactic works so well for Satan that Satan told God, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth now thine hand and touch all that he hath, and he'll curse thee to thy face. Satan was so used to people dropping out when the hard times came that he thought Job would do the same in the midst of his tribulation. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 20 and 21, But he that received the seed in the stony place is the same as he that heareth the word, and added with joy re- receive it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by, he is offended. Or he trips up. 
So many are out of the fight today because God did something they didn't agree with. God did something they couldn't wrap their head around. Many believers try to live the Christian life within the parameters of what they can understand. And anytime God does something outside of the realm of their rationale, they just kind of implode. I know what I know whereof I speak. I've seen it. So long as God does what they expect Him to do on their timetable, then they're okay. But the moment God exercises His sovereignty and He does what they can't understand, they fall out. What's the problem? Their feet are not shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. They either lost the assurance or never had it to begin with that God doeth all things well. That's easier said than understood. Joseph sure went through a lot in his life, didn't he? His brothers hated him and then they hated him the more and they sold him into slavery. Long story short, in Egypt he was accused of trying to have an affair with his master's wife. He was sent to prison Rightly interpreted the dreams. Hey, Butler, remember when we remember me when you get back up there? He forgot about him. Some two years, I think it was, went by. I can't remember. He had a rough go of it. But in time, he was elevated to the position just below the Pharaoh. He was essentially running the kingdom. And he could look back at that point and he could see God's hand in it all. Really, when his brothers showed up, the Bible says he remembered the dream. And when his brothers came looking for food in Egypt because of the dearth in all the land, they they came face to face with their brother Joseph who they had sold into slavery. And Joseph told them, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You see, he had peace with God because through his tribulations, not because he understood it all, Not because he was some super Christian, but because he learned that God is good. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. When we understand that God is always in complete control and that God works everything for good in the lives of his children, when we, when we understand this, we start to have peace with God through all the situations that come our way, through all the tribulations. It, I'm not saying we enjoy them. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying there isn't times of grieving. Understand what I'm saying. But there's a peace that overcomes the child of God. And we have to always live knowing that God loves His children. In fact, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but at some point, Jesus said, how many of you would ask a father for a fish and he'd give you a stone? How much more does your heavenly Father want to take care of you? You say, well, I don't like the way He's taking care of me. You don't have to take that up with God. I'm, I'm sorry that the health goes down. I'm sorry that there's diagnoses of disease. I'm sorry that there's financial problems. I'm sorry that there's rebellion. I'm sorry that there's relationships that are broken. But listen, you've got to just walk with God. 
even through the tribulations. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. And we need to recognize when the enemy is trying to deceive us and get us out of the battle, it's when confusion sets in. And once confusion sets in and you mumble under your breath or you think in your mind or you say in your heart, I am so confused about this. Satan is at work. The wiles of the devil are about to be applied to you. Keep your trust in God. Keep your trust that He does all things well. And you will be able to keep your peace with God because at some point... At some point in your life, something's going to happen that you did not count on happening. Philippians 4, 6 through 9 says, be careful for nothing. In other words, be, be, be anxious about nothing. Don't be troubled about it. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Then he he writes, those things which we have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. You know what that's saying? Paul there at the end is saying this. Just keep doing what the Bible says. Do what you've seen me do, he said. You keep the right doctrine. You you follow God's word. And you stay in the fight. And he says if you'll do that, you'll have peace with God through it all. So I hope you've inspected your feet tonight. I'm sure we're all going through something to some degree or another. And you're either having just come out of it or you're about to go into it. Because God is always working to conform us into the image of His Son. And so whatever you're going through tonight, I hope you can say that you have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's pray.